Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm Jack Baca, and this is the final study of 10 weeks of study of the book of Revelation that we've been having here through the Village Church in the fall of 2020. As we continue to study Revelation and as we come to the end of the study, we need to place ourselves within the broad context of where we are. We have seen through the words of John, we have seen through the vision that Christ has given to John, we have seen a grand display, a procession of images, of stories, of deeply meaningful pictures that said something to people in the first century churches and that still say something to us. Perhaps one of the best ways to understand the whole of Revelation and the way in which Revelation speaks to us is to think of it not so much in terms of words, not so much in terms of propositional truths, but more in terms of stories, pictures, images, as I've just mentioned, things that help us get into the deeper reality of what's going on in the cosmos and in the history of God's interaction with the creation that he made and that he loves. And through these pictures, through these images, we learn and understand and are reinforced in very, very deep truth. Now, those pictures, those images, those stories sound very strange to 21st century Western ears, and they look strange to our eyes. And because of that, sometimes we're tempted to dismiss the book of Revelation. We're tempted to say, how could it possibly mean anything? Or on the other side of the spectrum, we're tempted to say, I know exactly what those things talk about. They talk about people and events right now. Well, of course they do talk about people and events right now, but only in the sense of speaking of the the basic truth about God and the way that God works in the world, the way that we are in the world, the way that we move away from God. The stories, the pictures, the images, all of that strange and crazy stuff that we encounter was not at all strange or crazy or weird to first century Christians, especially to those who were steeped in the tradition of Jewish apocalyptic literature, uh, uh, liter- liter- <laughs> literature Jewish uh, eschatological thinking. And so, As we come to the end of this amazing display of pictures, as we come to the end of the vision, John says several key things to us that we need to hold in our hearts as we come to the end of this story. There is, in a sense, a return, if you will, to earthly reality. We come back into the world that that people in John's day inhabited, that they saw, that they knew, that they understood, the world that we see, that we know, that we understand. We've had this glimpse into cosmic reality of this great battle between God and evil and the victory of God, of course, but now we come back to earth. One of the things that John says is to be sure that we do not take away from his words or add to his words. It's almost like an ancient version of a copyright. In saying that, John wants us to be sure that we do not 
put our own meaning into the meaning that Jesus has communicated with us through the vision that he's given to John. We should not read something into these words or read something out of these words that's not there. Of course, that's a continual challenge in biblical study and biblical interpretation. It's a problem particularly with Revelation, as we've said all along, because the images themselves are so amazing and not necessarily self-explanatory, at least not to our ears. And so let's be careful to understand, again, what Revelation says and what it does not say. Revelation was not meant to be a blueprint for some time far in the future, like maybe our time. It was not meant to be a coded description of how the end of the world was going to happen. It was meant to be understood and appreciated and applied by first century Christians. We can, of course, also understand and apply it now in our own time, but only as we appreciate it for what it is and how it speaks to us. John also wants to be sure that we understand that, that we are encountering, as we hear these words, as we see these images, we are encountering the living God. The John once uh, has this impulse in him that he mentions uh, in verse 9 of chapter 22. He has this impulse to, to fall down before the angel who has given him this vision and, and worship the angel. But the angel says, no, don't, don't worship me. Don't worship the messenger. Worship the one who has sent the message. Worship God. That's also a, a, an important message for us today, that we need to take Revelation on its own terms and that we need to understand that we worship God and God alone, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We do not worship angels. We do not worship church leaders. We do not worship our theology or doctrine or denomination. We worship only God himself. And then, of course, Jesus reassures John that he is coming soon. Now, that's one of those phrases that is easy to misinterpret or easy to think that it applies only to us in our own day. Well, when is soon? Through the history of the church, many people understood soon to be right then in their own time frame, whether 2020 or 1970 or 1920 or, or 1670. It made no difference. What, what is Jesus saying when he says he's coming soon? Well, in a way, Jesus means that he's coming now, whenever your now happens to be. Jesus was present with the first century church. He was coming to them. He was not away from them. And so you and I need not to get wound up in trying to predict the time when the end of history is going to happen. We need to not be too concerned about whether or not Jesus is coming back tomorrow or maybe later today. What we are meant to understand is that Jesus already is here and that at any moment we might have an encounter with him, an encounter with the divine, an encounter with all of the forces of evil that seek to take us away from God and that then give us an opportunity to stand up for our faith, to remain true to our faith. In a sense, every moment of life is a moment in which we expect Jesus to appear because Jesus already is here. In these final words, John assures us that this revelation, 
that he has shared with us is true. It's trustworthy. These are sacred words. This is a, a sacred image. It's a sacred understanding. It is the way things are. Again, because it's uh, written in forms that are so strange and foreign to us and so easy to misinterpret, it's very easy simply to say, you know, I'm going to do revelation later. I'm going to think about these things later, or there's no way I can begin to understand it. So let's give up on it. We cannot do that. Revelation speaks a very, very important and trustworthy word to us. We've talked about what it means, of course. Revelation encourages us to remain faithful to the message, to keep the words, to, to keep those words in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Not so much keeping the words themselves, but keeping the truth of the words. That's what's important. There will be a reward. A reward is promised to us that as we remain faithful and true to this message that is given to us, this vision of reality, that we actually are remaining faithful and true to the truth. Revelation is convinced. John is convinced. Christians are convinced that despite any appearances to the contrary, that there is a loving and all-powerful God who already has conquered all evil in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the victorious Son of God, that that God still is present with us and ultimately all-powerful in the power of His Spirit, keeping the words, trusting the words, staying faithful to the words means that we stay true to actual truth that we do not get lost in lies or half-truths or distortions, that we do not get lost in following some other way of thinking about the world, which by definition must be the wrong way, not true, not real, not right. There is then at the very end of the book what I would call a pastoral end to the letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. There we have some of the most important words and truths, of course, that we can hold in our hearts and in our minds. The grace of the Lord Jesus. That's one of my favorite words is grace, because it's a word that speaks of God's love for us even before God created us, and God's love for us even after we are long gone, but especially God's love for us in the midst of the trials and the tribulations that we face in this world. No matter how much pain, how much suffering, how much evil, how much apparent defeat there is in this world for us, the final word is not those things. The final word is grace. The grace of God that created us, that sustains us, that will recreate us as we die and go to be with Jesus. The grace that is with us now as we live with and for Jesus in these present lives. There are some different ways of understanding some of those other words. Some of the ancient texts say the grace of the Lord Jesus be with the saints. Others simply say the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Well, if it's just the saints that Jesus is with, does that mean that there's not a possibility that other people might experience the love of God? Yes, there is that possibility. 
God can love whoever God chooses to love. So let's not make the mistake that some of our brothers and sisters do of, of drawing a line between those who we think are going to make it to heaven and those who are not. God can love whoever God wants to live. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, all the saints, all those whom he calls to himself. It is important, though, to think about the saints. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with the saints, those who know Jesus. We know that if you truly know Jesus, if you truly love Jesus, if you have not made yourself your own God, that Jesus is with you and Jesus's grace is with you. In all of this conversation, in this ending, this, this capstone to this amazing story that Revelation tells, we have an encouragement uh, for Christians of the first century to hold on to their faith, to remain true to what they believe. We also have an encouragement for us to, to remember that we can have hope. Think about what it might have been like to, to follow and believe in a God and, and in that following, in that belief, you only get in trouble. You are only looked upon as crazy or weird or dangerous or delusional. Think of what it would mean to follow this Jesus and, and, and realize that, that you had to say that Caesar was not the Lord, that the Roman Empire was not the ultimate reality, that the way other people treated each other was not the way God wanted us to treat each other. You would need some encouragement you would need some strength. You would need some hope. And that's what Revelation is. It's a word of hope. It's a word of encouragement. It's a word to us that we need not despair. We need not give up. It's also a word that says that we need to be strong, that we need to be sure and certain in our faith, not so much in our power to be faithful, but in God's power to be faithful to us. These are some of the final things that we think about as we think about the book of Revelation. As we come to the end together and as uh, you and I sort of shift our focus perhaps to other things now that we are moving into the Christmas season, let's remember uh, the summary that I think is probably the most important way to think about Revelation, that two-word summary that God wins that's the final word. That's the final reality, the deepest, most trustworthy and true reality. Whether your life is going along smoothly and beautifully and everything is perfect or your life is falling apart and there is nothing but disaster and despair in front of you, still God wins and God loves you and me. And God invites us to to move into a relationship with him where he gives us his protection, his power, his peace. That's ultimately what Revelation is about. It's about God. It's not about us. It's not about the end times. It's not about trying to determine and decide who's in and who's out. It's not about trying to figure out if now is when things are going to end or if it's going to be later. The most important message of Revelation, as with the whole of Scripture, is a message about the God who created, the God who saves. Let me encourage you to turn your life over to that God, to trust the Savior that God has sent, and then to follow that Savior, whatever that might mean in your life today.
Continue on that pathway, and you will continue to to share in the power of God's victory today, and ultimately one day, at the end of all things, whenever God has that planned, you will share in God's victory, the restoration and the renewal of all things. I don't know about you, but that's what keeps me going today and always. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we've had together in this study. We thank you for continuing to open our eyes to new ways of understanding the ancient truths. And we thank you for being with us today and in the days ahead. As we live through whatever challenges we face, as we live through times that can be unsettling, we realize that you hold it all in your powerful and loving hands. So convince us again, today and always, of the truth of your message, of the faithfulness that you have expressed to us in Christ, and of the simple fact that you win. We thank you for that, and we glorify you for that in Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Amen. Been good to be with you. Bye-bye.